Welcome to week three of our series called Why? Asking God the Hard Questions. Just let me ask, have you ever asked God a hard question? Has there ever been something in life that puzzled you and you wondered where he was and what he was doing? Well, that's what we're talking about in this series. Just a little bit of lighthearted stuff, right? So we're looking at the book of Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, if you want to say it that way. Tomatoes, tomatoes. And we're looking at the burdens that he had and what he lifted up to God and the hard questions that he asked God. And Habakkuk had some really hard questions. He went through some hard things. One of the things I find myself asking God uh, when I go through a hard time is, God, what are you doing? You know, I think I know where God is at this point. I, I know that he's with me. I know that he's in me. I don't really question that. But sometimes I do ask the question, God, what are you doing? And how could this possibly be good? Right? We sang the words this morning, you make all things work together for our good. How many of you know when you're going through a hard time, that's a tough scripture to hear? So don't just throw that at people when they're going through a hard time, right? But what does that mean in whatever situation you're facing? And, and we find ourselves waiting. And we talked a little bit about waiting last week. I want to unpack that a little more for you. And we find ourselves wondering what it is that God is doing when we're going through hard times. In the words of the philosopher Tom Petty, the waiting is the hardest part, you know? You take it on faith, you take it to the heart. I mean, he was a little bit theological, if you want to look at it that way. Not sure what he was waiting for, but but the waiting is the hardest part, right? But what I want to tell you this morning is that God doesn't want us just waiting uh, to give in to whatever problem or trouble that we're facing. God wants us waiting in a certain way. He doesn't just want us to numb our minds with busyness or the coping device of our choice. No, God wants us to wait in faith. Can you say faith this morning? Faith. God wants us to wait in faith and God wants us to trust his timing. Now there's the hard part, right? God wants us to trust his timing. Ecclesiastes, beautiful passage of scripture, You know, it says there's a time to be born and a time to die, right? And then if you move down to verse 11, it says, God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. Your heart is made for eternity, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. In other words, God's time is eternal, and you have no idea what he's up to in the intricacies of of lives that are woven together. You see, it's not just your life, but it's the lives of everybody connected to you that are impacted when God is doing his work. And what he's doing is massive. And you know, if you're like me, I tend to think in minutes or hours or days or weeks, we have our calendars all laid out. i got to tell you, one of the things I loved most about vacation, and I told some of you this, is that I didn't have a calendar. I got up when I wanted, I went to bed when I wanted. There was only one day that we had to be somewhere on this canoe tour, but it was glorious. It was glorious not having to live my life by a calendar. You know, it takes God a lifetime, our lifetime, to fulfill His purposes in us, the things that He wants to do in us. Good things do take time. And God things take time. You know, I had the blessing of going to a men's breakfast on Saturday over at Sunlight Church. Roger Anderson, who goes here, was invited to go and share his story for the first time. And I'm not going to share any of his story. It's his story. 
But the thing I can tell you about Roger's story, he's 46 now, grew up in church, went to Christian school, but it wasn't until about eight years ago that his personal relationship with Jesus Christ began through some powerful and painful circumstances of his life. It took that long. But here's what I want you to know. God was always working throughout those first 38 years of his life, through the good, through the bad, through the ugly. God was at work. And that's the truth. God is always working. God has purposes that he is fulfilling in your life and in my life. And number one in your notes today, that God fulfills his purposes in his own perfect time and way. Let me say that again. It's so true. And if you can catch this, it can help bring some freedom from the angst you feel when you don't know what God is doing. Okay? If you can trust this, God fulfills his purposes in his own perfect time and will and way. You know, last week we said that Habakkuk went to the watchtower, remember? And he went to watch and he went to wait and he went to listen to God speak. And here's how God answered him the second time that he spoke to Habakkuk. Verse 3 of chapter 2. God said to Habakkuk, this revelation that I've given you awaits an appointed time. Can you say appointed time? Appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. In other words, God's saying, what I've said is going to come to pass. Okay? Now here it is. Though it linger, wait for it. Would you say wait for it? Wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Now, this is interesting. God says it will not delay. Because it feels like delay to us. But to God, it's not delay. To God, it's his perfect, perfect timing. Now, this phrase, appointed time, comes from the Hebrew word moed. This word means appointed time. There's a moed for everything. His timing is perfect. His moed includes developing our character and developing our nature and our eternal condition. And really only God knows what we need, doesn't he? He looks at our heart. Like he said about David, I don't look at the outward appearance, I look at the heart. And when I look at your heart, I know what you need. And so I'm going to take my time with you. I'm going to make sure you have all the development you need to be the best that you can be for heaven. You know, the best example I can give you of Moed is pregnancy. It's pregnancy, a baby in the womb. You know, when a baby is in the womb, and I did some research this week on the nine-plus months that a baby is in the womb, it takes time to develop. And there are stages to development. I mean, when Lindsay was pregnant this last year... Every week she would say, you know what happens this week? This week it's the ears. Another week would come and it'd be this week it's, you know, whatever body part that she was concerned with that week. And so she would eat certain foods that help with the development, supposedly, of that body part. I just kind of chuckled, right? But it takes time to develop and there's stages of development and we wait for this baby and we know there are vital things going on in the womb. Brain development and connections happening. Organs and tissues and muscles are being formed together and intricately woven. I mean, if you don't believe in creation, just study the development of a baby. Oh my goodness. It's just unbelievable. It's beyond our imagination what happens in the womb. 
And there's a time for each organ, each part to be developed. And the timing for that is perfect. One stage builds upon the next when a baby is being developed. And you don't want to interrupt the process. You'll mess it up. Right? We know today, because of the great research being done, that things like trauma in, in the womb, things like you know a mom going through stressful, super stressful times can cause development arresting. Um, things like substance, of course, we know can cause arrested development in the womb. But Moed, in a normal pregnancy, if a baby comes to full term and it's normal, a baby will be born whole and healthy, and we celebrate that. And I like how this passage from Habakkuk is, is given to us in the Living Bible. Okay, here's what the Living Bible says. These things I plan won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely, the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, do not despair. God does not want us to despair, even when we're in a circumstance or situation that seems slow and and we don't know what he's doing. God says, don't despair, for these things will surely come to pass. Just be patient. How many of you hate that word, patient? Don't ever pray for patience. There's enough in your life to bring patience, right? They will not be overdue a single day. So moed, moed, appointed time. The idea that there's nothing you can do to speed it up or slow it down. Just wait and be ready for God's perfect timing. And wait in faith. Wait in faith. So God's ways of fulfilling His purposes are perfect. And while we wait, what we can do is agree in faith with God's heart. We may not even know the scope of His heart But we can wait and agree with his heart and with his will. I pray this all the time. I say, God, I don't know exactly what you're doing, but I just agree with your heart. Because I know your heart is perfect and and you're loving God. I know I can safely agree with you, whatever it is. Jesus prayed like this, right? Father, if it be possible, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but whose? Your will be done, Father. You know, in just a few weeks, we're going to focus on something we call Good Friday, Jesus' death. Why is it called good anyway? Right? What a painful, horrible time for him. You know, death and taking on the sins of the world and and being in the grave. But we call it good because of the outcome. You know, now we have the advantage of looking back on what happened on Good Friday and the resurrection. We have the advantage of having the New Testament scriptures, which assure us, of all the prophecies that came that came in the Old Testament have been fulfilled. And we have the advantage of looking back and saying, oh, we can celebrate Good Friday because of the good outcome. But I want you to know today that the disciples and the friends of Jesus, and even Jesus himself, it was hard. For the disciples, it was not a Good Friday. It was a bad Friday. And for... His friends, his mom, his siblings. It was a bad Friday. And even for Jesus himself, there were some things about Friday that were not good. i got to tell you. Right? Turned out good in the end. But how many of you know it would not have been a good, a good day, humanly speaking, for Jesus? And so we find that even Jesus, the Son of God, was in agony over this day. Dr. Luke tells us, 
He was in agony of spirit and his sweat dropped to the ground like great drops of blood as his father was working out the purposes of his life. This is God we're talking about. And even he had to trust his father that God knew what he was doing in his life. Matthew writes, he went on a little further, Jesus, and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. See, Jesus knew that that God's will was perfect. And in his humanness, he still struggled with what he knew was going to come down that weekend. So Jesus, God in the flesh, had a cup of suffering. He had a cup of suffering submitted to God's timing, that he would drink it and he would endure it in his Father's perfect will for his life. And what I want to say to you today, and I think it's important that we acknowledge this as, as people, if we're honest about life, I think it's important that we acknowledge that each one of us have a cup of suffering. Each one of us have something in our life that is hard, that is difficult. Sometimes it it happens more than once that we have a cup of suffering. And at some point, it's important, like Jesus, that we submit to the Father's will and we agree to drink the cup even though it's bitter, even though it's hard even though it's difficult, that we learn to partner with him and that we learn to, number two in your notes today, to wait in faith for God to complete his purpose in us. To wait in faith, to seek God to complete his purpose in us. Let's talk about faith just for a little bit. What is faith? What is faith? Well, one of the best definitions of faith is Hebrews 11, 1 and 2. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, that there's something beyond this challenge or trouble that I'm going through. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. In other words, I believe in my heart that that there's something I cannot see yet that God is going to bring to pass, that good that we talked about this morning, sang about this morning, that God is going to bring something to pass through this in my life, greater dependence on Him, deeper trust on him. And if that's all that happens, how many of you know that's good, right? That's a good thing that we go deeper with God. But here's verse 2. Here's something else that happens. For by it, by faith, the people of old received their commendation. We're going to go more into this next week as we talk about living out our faith in a crisis of belief. So I was talking recently to a, a young woman whose cup of suffering is that her husband is currently not doing a great job of loving her. She doesn't feel loved by him. How many of you know that's hard? That's a cup of suffering that's very difficult when you feel like your spouse doesn't care deeply for you. And and so we were talking about this, and we were talking about the waiting and where she's at right now, and, you know, how long do you wait? And then the question came up, well, what do I do while I wait? How do I wait? when I know that change may be a long time coming. And this is it. You wait in faith. You wait with the assurance that there's things hoped for. You wait with with the conviction that there's things you can't see yet. And you wait believing that God can bring change. You see, if we don't have faith, then we really don't believe that God can do what He wants to do and what we need Him to do in our circumstances, right? That's what it really means, is that we don't really believe God. 
But if you wait in faith, then you believe that God has a purpose, you believe that God is at work, and you believe that God's timing is moed. It's perfect at the appointed time. Because it's not just you in the waiting that he's working on, but it's the spouse in the struggle that he's working on. It's all the family members that are involved. It's the children that are involved. I mean, there's a lot riding on this. And we have to remember that it's not just me in the waiting. And so in our waiting, like with Jesus, there comes this acceptance of the cup. Now, that doesn't mean that we live our life in denial. Jesus didn't. He knew what he was getting into. It doesn't mean that we don't grieve our losses. Jesus grieved his losses. He wept like great drops of blood. He sweat like great drops of blood in the garden. And so Jesus grieved his losses. It doesn't mean as though we live in denial like nothing's wrong. No, we must acknowledge our cup of sorrow. And then we do what we can to partner with God as he walks us through. I loved what John said this morning. He's always with us. He's always with us. You know, and we walk through these times with God and partner with him for his purposes. And we don't wait hopelessly. There's the key. We don't wait hopelessly, but we wait in faith. We believe that God is completing a purpose. And verse 2 of this passage in Hebrews says that it's our faith that God rewards. It's not whether or not it turns out okay. It's not whether or not we get the, the outcome that we wanted. But what God rewards is our faith, our waiting on Him, hoping in Him in the midst of whatever it is that's happening. The truth of the matter is, you may never get your reward on this planet. What you hope for may not come to pass. That's the hard truth of living with people. We can't control one another. I can't make you love me. You can't make me love you. It's our own volition that we do that, right? It's true in relationships. It's true in the church. The truth is our spouse may not change. Our loved one may still pass away. Our son or our daughter may not live in the wellness that we had desperately hoped that they would live in. They may not achieve the things that we hoped that they would achieve. But still we believe. And still we hang on to hope. We believe God for his best and to fulfill his purposes in his perfect time. That's what it means to wait on him. Peter wrote, I love these words. You must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord. Somebody groaned for me. Oh, wow, that's a long time. And a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. But he wants everyone to repent. He wants everyone to experience his love. That's what that really means. So God's ultimate purpose is that everyone gets the chance to repent. And that's why sometimes it takes a long time. Because again, it's not just me, but it's the people that I'm in relationship with, you're in relationship with. And he'll allow whatever it takes to bring somebody to the place of repentance that results in eternity with him. That's the hard part. And sometimes you're tied to that person. And it's difficult to watch. To see people go through hard times to reach their bottom. You know, last week we talked about some of the ways that God speaks to us. Remember, there were eight ways I gave you. And how pain is his loudest voice. I still believe that's true. 
And the problem with pain is that my pain affects you and your pain affects me. And we just all kind of pain all over each other. You know what I mean? Right? And so it's hard to watch and hard to be a part of. But we have to understand that God's timing and his heart is for the one that needs to repent. We've repented, hopefully. I'm hoping. Looking around the room. Yep, everybody. I can see. Everybody's repented. But there's people that haven't repented. And God wants them to come home to him. God wants his son God wants his daughter to come home to him. And so he allows pain and he allows us to wait while he's working in people's lives. You know what? Somebody waited for me. Somebody waited for me. A bunch of people waited for me while I was working out my crisis of belief. So we wait for others. Number three, the third thing that we do. What do we do while we wait? Number three, we participate while we wait. We participate while we wait. Being a follower of Christ is a team sport. We participate. Peter said in 2 Peter 3, Dear friends, while you are waiting, you see that? While you're waiting for Jesus to return, for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless. Anybody there yet? Pure and blameless? I didn't think so. In his sight, and remember our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. So Peter says, while you're waiting, do what you can to live a blameless life, walk in the Spirit, let God change your heart, be as pure as you possibly can with the help of the Lord Jesus in your life. That's a life of worship. That's a life of worship. So what do we do? I want to give you three things. I'm on the W's. I don't know. Last week was three W's. I've got three more. We have to turn those around next week and get some M's in the game, right? But the first one is this. M's are feeling left out, you know. We worship while we wait. We worship while we wait. What we did this morning is just one small aspect of worship, but it's, it's a real aspect of worship. Corporate worship is very important. God does some things in our hearts. God does some things in the heavenlies through corporate worship that we can't see, but that he is doing. And so God wants us to worship him together. What does worship do? Worshiping keeps us trusting God's timing. I've got to tell you, as we were worshiping this morning, I started out feeling a little bit down and emotional, and I ended up feeling like, okay, faith-filled. I've been reminded who God is and what God's doing. And who God is for me this morning. Filled my heart, filled my mind with faith, with life. So worshiping keeps us trusting God's timing. It keeps us in tune with His heart and His purposes. Because worship, these songs that we sing, are biblical truths set to music. Somebody said, he who sings prays twice. Because you're praying with the mind, but you're also praying with the emotions. And God wants both. God wants both. Okay? So worship is an all-in lifestyle. It's not just singing on Sunday. It's an all-in lifestyle. Paul said in Romans 12, Brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God. Why? Because Jesus gave his body for you. That's why. Give your bodies to God. There's no question about who they belong to. They belong to him. I plead with you, because of all he has done for you, let them be, let your body be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. 
So what is worship? It's in giving my body. I think corporate worship is just practice for the other hundreds of hours you spend outside these walls. Why do I lift my hands? Because the, the Bible says, give my body to God. So God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pledge my hands to you in worship. And I'm also going to proclaim by my worship that, that you are over my life. And I receive whatever it is you have for me today. I don't just willy-nilly raise my hands. There's intention and purpose behind the lifting of my hands when a, a phrase of a song uh, touches my heart and I say, yes, that's for me. That's for me. Bring it. Come on, Jesus. I need that truth today, right? So that's why we worship, and that's why we worship with our body. But Paul says, you know, let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind that he'll find acceptable. So what is worship? It's giving my body 24-7, every day of the week. That is what a life of worship means, realizing that he bought me, and I don't belong to myself. And that that thought enters into the situations, the relationships, the challenges of my life. I don't belong to myself, so I better be who Jesus wants him to be in this moment. That's what that means, okay? So out of that understanding, we worship him with every part of our body. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, don't you realize your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Like, like God lives there in your body. God lives in your body. And so if your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to yourself. God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. So worship. Prayer is a critical part of worship, giving myself to prayer. Peter wrote, the end of the world is coming soon, therefore be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Paul wrote, always be joyful, never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. This is God's will for you to belong to Christ. Okay, so we worship while we wait. Not whistle while you wait, unless that's worship. Worship while you wait, okay? Secondly, God wants us to work while we wait. To work while we wait. You know, Jesus talked a lot about each of us having gifts and talents that he had bestowed upon us. He talked about a lot. He gave parables a lot about investing those talents rather than hiding them or or squandering them or keeping them to yourself or just using them for your own little kingdom. No, Jesus talked about using your gifts and talents for his kingdom and how he rewards us when we work for him, when we serve him. So hundreds of you are doing this in your businesses, in your jobs. You've connected the dots where what you do is an expression of worship. Even though you get paid for it, that's fine. But you bring your best because Jesus wants you to bring your best, you know. And some of you guys get beyond work and you do some other things with your lives. And uh, one of these guys I want to highlight this morning, uh, he's our friend Will Rosado. And just take a look at how Will is doing that. Well, my name is Will Rosado, and I've been working for the federal government now for over 30 years. Out of those 30 years, uh, I did six years in active uh, Army and 24 years as a law enforcement officer. I got involved with the Billy Ground Rapid Response Team, and basically anytime any disaster happens anywhere in the nation, uh, you get called to go to these places to minister to people. And one of the places that I felt called was to the Paradise Fire uh, in in California. And of course it was over the Thanksgiving week. And of course my human side didn't want to go, but then my spiritual side convinced me to say, you have to go. 
We had a lot of opportunity to reach out to a lot of people, and some of those people came back to Christ because of the fire, and some of the people gave their life for the first time to Christ because of the fire. So we were able to witness people coming back to Christ, and we were able to witness people giving their life to Christ. Knowing that I had the church praying for me, knowing that I had the family praying for me and friends praying for me, that gave me a lot of strength and a lot of will to continue to go. We all have been blessed with different abilities, different skills, different gifts. And just like the body has different parts and all those parts matter to the body, that's exactly how the body of Christ works. Once we discover what our gifts are, what our abilities are, we have to put those things into place to help build the body of Christ. And the only way we're going to do that is if we are willing and are able to serve Christ. Doing missions, doing God's will, doesn't necessarily mean that you have to go to other parts of the world to do His will. As long as you raise your hand and you say, God, I'm willing to serve you, He can use you anywhere. Isn't that great? There's a lot, a lot more to Will's testimony, and on a personal note, I just love the fact that Will is also a chaplain at the Whatcom County Jail, so he's been hanging out with my son a bit, which is pretty awesome. So it's, it's funny how God works those things out, right? Talking about God working behind the scenes. So uh, Paul said in Colossians 3, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Uh, here's how I look at this. Once you have submitted to your cup of suffering, once you've acknowledged what your challenges are in life, and once you've uh, decided to partner with God to fulfill His purposes in your life, then you become somebody that has a particular something to offer to others. You see, you've walked through a cup of suffering, and now you get the chance to share that with others. That's exactly what Will's doing. You know, and when Roger shared his testimony yesterday at Sunlight to a bunch of men, that's exactly what Roger was doing. It was allowing his story to be told with the hope that it might help somebody else. Will, with his years of service and his, his heart of passion to help people that are facing trials in their life, has brought him to the place where he says, I want to be a chaplain, and so he's a chaplain for several organizations, and I want to travel and meet people in their time of desperate need. And what came out of that? I mean, Will wasn't the only one that reaped the harvest, but several lives being given to Christ is what came out of that. I think maybe a Thanksgiving dinner was worth that. I don't know. Maybe. You think? You think it was? Yeah. So, so we use our story. We use what God has done in us. You know, another personal reason to become somebody that gives and serves in life, especially if you've got a problem or a challenge, is that people that research depression tell us that when you get your eyes off of your problem and onto people, you become more well. You become healthier. It helps you to do that. And so I want to be a guy that takes my eyes off of my problems and allows you know, my eyes to be on Jesus and to be on people and to, and to let him use me in the lives of others. And, and that brings a tremendous sense of, of wellness to our lives when we do that. So there's a personal perk to serving, not just heavenly rewards, although that would be enough, right? So Paul said in Romans 12, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them, hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection, take delight in honoring each other. This is, this is how you work and serve as you wait. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically, 
Rejoice in your confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Just a few things that we can work on while we wait, right? This is how God wants us to live while we wait. And I know we're not perfect. I'm not perfect. I have to work on these. But this is some of the work that we can do while we wait. You see, Jesus worked to set us free from sin and death. So now we work to bring this reality to others simply through loving and serving. That's how we do it. Uh, Just another one. I love this one too. Galatians 5. Paul said, you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Like, like don't waste your freedom on sin, you know. But rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. It's much more gratifying than sin. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So what do we do while we wait? We worship while we wait. We work while we wait, serving one another. And then number three, the third thing we do while we wait is we win. We win people while we wait. Now, I grew up in a time where this was common language, where we talked about winning souls. Billy Graham talked about winning souls. Lots of evangelists talked about winning souls. And Paul talked about winning souls. We've kind of lost this language. We've lost this idea of the fact that we need to win people to Jesus, winning souls for Christ. It's not politically correct to think about winning somebody, to think about them changing what they believe to come and believe uh, what is true about Jesus. It's not PC, right? And this whole idea of Unitarianism where, where one road leads to the same place is false. It's a lie from the pit of hell. And people are unknowingly walking toward hell if they're outside of Christ. And so I have news for you. We still have to win souls today. We're still called to win souls today, even if it's not PC. I met a guy in Thailand. We had several God appointments in Thailand. And I met a guy, my wife and I, and um, he was a retired attorney from Kentucky. And he, you know, made reference to a big thing that had happened in his life and moved to Thailand, retired, uh, got, got out of his partnership, and met a Thai lady and got married. And so now he's living in Thailand. Great guy. Loved him. Really, really personable and, and fun guy, if you know what I mean. So great guy. So I probed a little bit. I probed a little bit. I said, well, tell me about your story. How is it you came here? And so he alluded to this big thing that happened in his life, never told me what. And then he found out I was a pastor. And his eyes kind of brightened. And he said, you know, when I was a kid, when I was in high school, I went to a Southern Baptist church. I carried my Bible to school. And I had this goal of winning one person to Christ every week, of leading somebody to Christ every week. I said, well, what happened? Can you tell me what happened to, to now bring you to Thailand? And he said, yeah, just a big thing in my life. And now I just sort of, you know, I believe. But, yeah, my wife's Buddhist. And so I, there's a lot of things I respect about that. And, you know, you could tell he had just kind of, kind of dissipated in his life. And so I looked him in the eyes and I said, well, you know, it's really about what you do with Jesus. It's really about what you do with Jesus. Who is Jesus And what has he done 
for you? And what are you going to do with him? And I never got the chance to close the deal, you know, but I think I planted a seed. I think that was a moment that he needed. I did get his email address, so uh, he's not out, of, not out of the weeds yet, you know. Um, but I, I really did feel like God had us there for a purpose, and that was to engage this guy. What are the chances, right? We're on the same boat together, on the same cruise together, and we end up talking about Jesus. So what do we do while we wait? We win people while we wait. We are soul winners. And God doesn't just want this from pastors. God wants this from every single one of us. If, you're, if you've been won, then you become a winner, right? It's your job to win souls. Heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. All the angels rejoice in heaven when one sinner repents. This is the ultimate purpose of life. The ultimate purpose of life is to do what you can do to bring another lost sinner to Jesus. There's nothing better than that. It's something that impacts all of their eternity. What can be better? It's better than giving them a cheeseburger, for goodness sake. I mean, win them. Bring them to Christ, right? Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, he said, Though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. We've kind of lost this fervor for caring enough about somebody to tell them the truth about Jesus. It's not politically correct. And so I'm challenging you, the church, I'm exhorting you, the church, to bring that back into our lives. Maybe you do this already. I'm glad you do. But to not be afraid to just relationally approach somebody and start asking some questions and start finding out where they've been and and what's gone on in their life so that you may get the opportunity to win them. You know, I don't go zero to 60 in one minute. Like I said, I I never mentioned to him that, you know, I was going to lead him to Christ. I just asked him some questions about what he'd done with Jesus. He's an attorney, for goodness sake. I mean, he knows how to think, right? He knows how to think. So Paul was all in to win all. Paul was all in to win all. He went to the, to the Jew. He became as a Jew to the Jews. He became as those outside the law. You know, you heard what I just read. To the weak, he became weak. It doesn't mean he entered into sin to win the sinners. It means he entered into relationship. He got himself around them. He got to know them. And he wasn't afraid to share the truth about Jesus. And I believe that God wants us all in to win all. I believe that that's something God wants us to do while we wait. And God will do whatever it takes. He'll allow whatever pain is necessary for a person to repent and come to Christ and to receive the love that God has for them. And that's, that's really the point of it, right? God has love for everybody. God is love. And it requires that we repent and we turn and allow Him to forgive us of our sins. He loves people so much that he'll make us wait 
so that they may have a chance to repent. And so this morning, I thought what I would do, I just felt like this was a good direction to go in prayer. You know, I have people in my life that um, need to repent, people in my life that need desperately need God to change their hearts, people in my life that are struggling. And so I thought maybe this morning that some of you all might have some too. Anybody else, you don't have to lift your hand, but anybody else have somebody that you would love to see either come back to Christ, like Will said, or come to Christ. Now just think about that for a second because we're going to pray for that person this morning. You're going to pray for them. And corporately, we're going to do some work in the spiritual realm and clear the way for those people that you love to come to Christ. So who is it for you? Who's the person? Maybe it's you. That's okay. Maybe it's you. But maybe there's somebody in your life that you've been agonizing over their eternity or should be agonizing over their eternity and you'd love to lift them up to the Father this morning. And there's strength in corporate prayer. There's strength in agreeing with one another. We know what God wants, right? We know what God wants, that none should perish. So let's stand together. I'm going to pray with you. I hope you're going to pray with me. I hope there's somebody that you're thinking about right now. And they're going to worship with one more song. We're going to call it a morning. God, this morning I know I have somebody on my mind. And I believe that most, if not all of everybody here, has somebody on their mind. And so, Lord, we lift them up to you right now. And, God, we just know that there's darkness, there may be unbelief, there may be just a lack of faith that has gotten in the way of them receiving you and really walking in fellowship with you. And so, God, we lift that person to you and we say, Lord, we ask you to clear the way. We ask you to penetrate the darkness of unbelief with the revelation of who you are. And that you would bring that moment to them where they recognize you as the lover of their souls. They recognize you as the all-powerful God of the universe. And the one who's made it possible for when we cross over into eternal life that it's going to be with you. In your presence. In your love forevermore. And God, we want that for the people that we love. And so we lift them to you today. We pray they'd come to the place where they would say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Bring me into fellowship with the creator of the universe, with my heavenly father. And make my place ready so that when I go, I know I'm going to go home to you. We submit them to you today, Lord. We, we agree our hearts together about their hearts to receive you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Isn't that powerful? Isn't it good to do that together? So let's take a moment. We're going to worship one more time with the song. We're going to give our tithes and offerings. And then I'll uh, bring close to the service.